This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 195 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Hands on Gloves, the all-in-one revolutionary bathing grooming gloves. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network, and today we have a couple of celebrity farriers. They really are, and they're on with us to tell us about innovations that they're still making, look at that, and that they're still learning. This is Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month, and I have my producer, Jen, with me today. Hi, Jen. Greetings, Debbie. How are you? Good. Really good. I'm excited for, we're almost at Thanksgiving here now. we got a couple of episodes more. We're going to put it under our belt, and then on to getting rid of 2021, right? <laughs> good riddance. <laughs> good riddance. Kind of good riddance. Yeah, I think everybody, at least on our coast, we're over here in California is saying the same thing. We're kind of done with it. But um, yeah, we're, we're focusing in here at the ranch, at Flag is Up Farms, we're focusing in on the lives of our horses uh, because that's what you do when it's COVID time. You can't talk about do, going to a lot of things. But I will tell you that last weekend, I jumped in a plane and I went up to Eugene, Oregon, and I met my friend there, Nellie, and we went to the Mountain Trail Championships. It was the National Trail Oh my gosh, I've always wanted to see one of those. Tell me. It's fun. It's really fun. So we were there Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, and so we got to see quite a bit. We got to see the the real program during the day, and then they had some fun events during the evening. But I was surprised. There was hundreds of horses there, which is really cool to see, you know, in this time and way. And then also um, they would have youth and they would have over 55 and they would have amateur and pro and they had all kinds of categories. But probably most impressive of the whole thing, besides the outfitted mules, which were amazing, were, were the uh, the two weeks that they took <laughs> to put this thing together in a warehouse 10 minutes from the airport. What? Really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you look at it, you walk in there, you smell dirt and water, and it's lovely. Well, so paint the picture. What does a, mm -hmm. what is it, a mountain trail or extreme mountain trail? It's not extreme. That's a kind of another That's thing. Different. So we're going to leave that word off, but it's okay. National Mountain Trail Competition. Yeah. Okay. So and what does it look like when years. you walk into the competition venue? Describe the scene. Okay. So it's a big warehouse equestrian center. Like you'd imagine there's a huge indoor arena inside this big building and there's barns all around it, trailers everywhere. Got that picture, right? Big, tall warehouse looking thing. And, um, and it, or is it pouring down rain? It's Eugene, Oregon, right? So <laughs> I knew that was happening. But anyway, you walk in and the whole, the, I walk into an arena, you smell dirt and, you know, stuff like that. But I mean, it just, it smacks of, they've been digging dirt and trees and roots and rocks and everything for two weeks. So there's this sort of dust settling on the first day that we were there. And, um, it, it just, it's transformative in that they have these huge backdrops that are snow capped mountains and pine trees and just gorgeous. They've got a three-story waterfall. I'm sure it was three stories. I mean, it was really way up there and pouring down. So 
crashing sounds like that, you know, and it's in a hollow building too. So it's loud and it's, but it is beautiful. So when you take a photo, (laughs) people are like, you went to the mountains. Not really. We're 10 minutes from the airport. (laughs) The the pictures and videos I've seen, because that's all Mm -hmm. I've seen. Yeah. It's really a movie set. Yes, it is. It's it's like a soundstage because every square millimeter is yeah. done up. So you can't you you complete suspension of reality. When you walk in there, you're in a mountain situation someplace because yeah. like you said there's there are realistic um backdrops too. So yeah. you don't even see the wall of the building and all the materials are natural. So it's Chunks Beautiful. of dead trees and boulders and dirt that they just went out and dug up some dirt. Oh, yeah. And it's yeah, no, just rocks that are huge looking stuff. Oh, I, I'm telling you, it's like, you know, I've been, you know, up in the mountain, right? You and I, we've done these things where we're way up in Sun Valley, Idaho, and the white clouds and things like that. It's pretty darn close. <laughs> it's pretty good. I mean, there's not the... I don't know. It's not the same pine smell and all that stuff, but, but it really is. Um, it's it's laid out like somebody really knows what they're doing that way, and they've been doing it for twenty years. So every and all the vendors come back, and and it's just like a big party. It's like a big family. It's really fun, and I, and I enjoyed it. And they don't charge tickets or anything, so it's like grandmas and you know family coming, and and they set up their trailers, and everybody you know has a little wine in the evenings, and it's like a big family. It's it's really cool. I I advise people going if they if they can find one, and uh, you know it's just inspired us to put. We want to put a mountain trail here. The the trestle track bridge, you know, mm-hmm. it doesn't have tracks on it, but it has a bridge that's two stories high. And these horses are just amazing. And trees leaning over. There's redwood tree trunks, Jen, that are like four and five feet across. Like it looks like it got planted and chopped down right there. And um, and then the water features, some were scarier, some were shallow. They all had rocks and it, it looked really natural. There's no pool noodles, no, you know, cowboy curtains. <laughs> no lawn chairs, no, no, no lawn bouncy chairs. houses. <laughs> no, you know, mailbox, none of that stuff, none of that stuff at all. Uh, so that that part is, is, I think, the cool factor that these horses – you know, they, they know the difference, but still they, you could be trained all summer long and then feel like you just float right into this place and continue your, your summer trail rides. You know, it's really, it's really cool. Anyway, that was a lot of fun. Nellie was amazing and we had just a great time getting, getting into something new, which was really fun. Everybody would want to do it. If you walked in that building and you have a horse or access to a horse, you're going to want to go. It's really fun. Yay! So I'm um, now I'm going to have to put a a link to this to on one of our local World Equestrian mm-hmm. Center because the World Equestrian Center Ocala right. the, the big deal here in Ocala we right. so need those here. Yeah, you're so flat as a pancake. That's the thing. They've really worked hard. I don't know the infrastructure. I know that it's temporary. They'll leave it up for another couple of weeks before they'll take it down and people. Yeah, I saw that. You can you, know, you can yeah. reserve an hour and practice okay. in there. Yeah. Yeah, which is nice, but it means that they didn't build any rebar, you know, right. <laughs> anything that stays in there. So you know that they just brought brought in a lot of rock. And Florida, being flat as a pancake, could use a little height, right? Well, <laughs> and they have the they have these amazing. They're all climate controlled. Oh yeah, they have. That's- I think six giant indoor arenas. We're talking really giant indoor arenas with stands and the whole thing, and they're all climate controlled, so they're heated and air conditioned. 
That's nice. As Goodness. well as the barns. Heated. Heated. Yeah, heated or air conditioning. And so are the <laughs> barns. So in the summertime, this is an awesome thing because a lot of people don't do much competing here in the summertime because it gets kind of stinky hot. Mm-hmm. But this is a really cool thing to do. Oh, yeah. The they should do that. Yeah. So you're thinking not for somebody to put up a permanent one, but they should come oh, out no. there and everybody yeah. would support it. Yeah. Make, make the indoor one. Yeah. That would be so f- I would go and enter that. I would, I would, I would com- be a complete disaster, but I would. <laughs> well, you got to start somewhere. <laughs> got to start <Yeah>. somewhere. <laughs> come on. Be an encourager. Yeah. No, it's, um, it's really fun. I think, you know, for people who love the trail riding and, and there was a few English saddles in there. I know we're way out West in Eugene, Oregon, but uh, the mules, I, like I said, were super impressive too. They had them outfitted like y- you would have seen in Sun Valley, Idaho. It's really, it's really cool. But, um, Anyway, uh, but we've got some fun stuff coming up, and I, I want to dive into this because we've got our part two of Jamie Jackson all about the feet, and uh, this this episode is going to be all about the feet, and I think people are going to be amazed because our celebrity farriers have a lot to teach us, and uh, my hands-on gloves, my title sponsor, is created by animal people for animal people. I want you to listen up. Hi, I'm Monty Roberts. And am I excited to bring you the news of a revolutionary, new, all-in-one, shedding, bathing, grooming tool. Hands-on gloves. They are fantastic. And you believe me, I've tried them all. Hands-on outperforms traditional curry combs, shedding blades, metal bristles, and all those things. Most animals will gravitate to you for more grooming and petting time. If you wear them, your animals will love you more for it. While using the hands-on gloves, you can easily handle water hoses, shampoo bottles, lead ropes, leashes, and anything you want with them on your hands. They are easy to clean, and they massage muscles and stimulate circulation while helping to distribute natural oils for a healthy skin and coat. Hands-on is changing the way we bathe, de-shed, and groom our animals forever. Hands-on gloves. They are fantastic. Jamie Jackson has been a professional hoof care practitioner since the 1970s. And in the 1980s, he conducted studies of the lifestyles and hooves of the U.S. Great Basin wild free-roaming horses. That's important because this changed his career path forever to become a pioneer as a non-traditional natural hoof care practitioner. This transition culminated in his first book, The Natural Horse, Lessons from the Wild in 1992, updated in 2020, by the way. Other written books by Jamie are currently used by the Institute for the Study Natural Hoof Care Practices, ISNHCP, you can look that up, to train students in the artful science of natural hoof care. In 2005, he wrote his book that a lot of you might know called Paddock Paradise, a guide to natural horseboarding to help horses and owners create habits for their horses that simulate the wilderness experience of this species. And this is part two of our conversation we had. If you didn't listen to episode 194, you want to go back and do that. Although this is a standalone one, too, because he had so much to talk about because of there's the science and then there's the horse management and then there's the research and then things have changed. Such a big topic. We had to chop it into two parts. So we're going to jump in and this is part two. 
it, people are a little bit confused about like what's a minimum link that it will help their mental stimulation as well as their feet. But, um, you know, a lot of people say how little, how much, how, you know, some of those statistics. Have you gotten into that at all? Well, the let's take the fellow there in uh, Santa Inez. Okay. He wants to put like 50 horses in there. And so what I recommend people do is it depends on the size of their, their land. You want to maximize the length of the track and run it through the roughest part of your property. <laughs> if you've yeah. got that. Yeah. And, uh, and then start, um, start off with a few horses and, uh, and see how learn to understand how it works. Okay. And then build from there. And so, uh, w- once you open the track to them, they'll start moving. Mm-hmm. instinctively they will start moving and uh and they'll begin to their behaviors will begin to change as they mm-hmm. have the freedom to interact the way they please is it all mares all geldings do you mix i think it's the same answer isn't it jamie yeah you mix them up mm-hmm. and well it's also that the dynamic of what you're working with too what do you do with an extreporous um, if you've introduced a new horse to a herd, and let's say there's six, and now you've made it seven, and this one seems to be stirring the pot, what do you do with that horse? Well, it really depends how we define that. But uh, <clears throat> there are extremely damaged horses that have been abused terribly, and uh, just like a psychopaths and humans, mm-hmm. you've got horses that are damaged, and so you might want to. Uh, kind of look at that to see what their behavior is like, if it's destructive, so if it's meanness, things mm-hmm. like that, uh, might need to have someone uh, deal with that animal apart from the others and uh, see if they can sure. see what they can do. But the generally, when a new horse is introduced, they're kept away from the others by whatever the alpha horse is. And, and eventually... Because the track goes on and on, mm-hmm. that, that horse is going to follow the others, which is what we've observed. And then eventually they'll 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 integrate mm-hmm. okay. with, with the with the band, right? Um, yeah, and okay. I I love that. I I, I think that. Um, Whenever anybody introduces a horse, a new horse to a pasture, pretty much the protocol is to put them in the catch pen first and let everybody get to know everybody over the fence. So I I don't think it's that much different for you, is it? That you you watch what happens, you use your your yeah, judgment. We, we just we just put them right in there, and then okay. they they immediately start running each other, which is good for them. That vitality comes from exercise, and uh, and. It, they work it out pretty quick. I mean, it's over with probably in half an hour. There you go. Okay. And um, until it's like in the wild, you have the you have these bachelor bands, and they're mm-hmm. they sort of hang off to the side, and they but they stay right with the the alpha, their alpha, and uh, and then they have their own herd dynamic, so to speak. <laughs> going on yeah. There. Yeah. And uh, and and so uh, I think they they will work it. They always work it out one way or the other. Good. Yeah, horses left alone are, are better off than with people. Ha- what are some things that people could avoid when they're putting in their track systems if they want to have a paddock paradise in their backyard? Um, to avoid? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
you see any big mistakes that people make when they're putting them in? Uh, Can they be overcomplicated? Can they be like, oh, wow, you got a little, you overthought it a little bit there with all the <laughs> the track. I don't know if you, if you notice, we didn't have a, an external fence up above. Right. That? That's right. <laughs> I know. So uh, once you establish the, the track, they will then determine where their paths are going to be within it. Okay. And uh, they, they will stick to it. Uh, the, the paths are very important to them where they're at. Uh, in fact, I did an experiment on that. I don't know if you want to hear about that. Yeah. Um, so many years ago, when I, this is back in the 1980, 80, 82, 1983, I was talking with this fellow about, I'd seen all these paths out there and they're going here and there. And, and uh, I just want to see what someone who knew nothing about wall horses, what was his take on it? Oh, well, it's, they're just taking the path of least resistance <laughs> to get where <laughs> they want to go. And, and, I, and I knew that that was not true. Yeah. So, so I did an experiment in Lompoc. And right at the bottom, as you recall, going down to the water, mm-hmm. water tanks where they would drink, they made a fairly distinct path going back there, bent in a couple of places and curved and went on down. So I photographed it, measured it from the, from the fence there. And then I brought out the uh, the drag, and I just completely ma- erased it. Okay, yeah, yeah, uh, with the drag. And uh, the next day, end of the next day, I went down there, and they put it right back exactly where it was Isn't before. They know right where to put it. Yes, they do absolutely. And what do you think that is in their instinct? Is it coming off some sort of uh, geography? Is it an internal? How do they do that? They well, look. Here's let me give you an, another analogy so you can help help me figure that out. Okay, mm. you'll have bands, separate bands, mm-hmm. roaming around in their own little areas, miles apart from each other, and uh, all of a sudden, bang! Mm-hmm. Something goes off in the lead mare and the alpha or alpha male. And they all run to this place and hook up. How do they know? How, do they How know? are they communicating? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, one night, one of my first nights among them many years ago, I was camping out with them. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, I was laying down in my, uh, under my mosquito netting. There's lots of mosquitoes out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, you would think there wouldn't be. It's dry, but they're, they're everywhere. And all of a sudden, the what I call the monarch stallion, just yells out this huge scream into the night. I just flew up (laughs) (laughs) off the ground. What the heck is going on? It was so loud. And uh, and all of a sudden, I hear other alpha stallions Mm -hmm. calling out in the night across valley, across ridges, all over. It was like a, a, uh, what do you call it? you're driving your car like a, and you got that thing at close where you're going. Oh, a you know? GPS. Yeah. It's a GPS. It's a natural GPS. They, yeah. They're where are you at? Mm-hmm. So they know where the other bands are. Right. So they have ways of communicating that are uh, either very vocal or very mysterious. 
very mysterious. Intuitive. Yeah, because most yeah. of the wild animals, uh, horses and others, the deer here, always quiet. Like when we bring Mustangs onto the farm that have were probably BLM Mustangs most of the time, but they're the ones that were not born in captivity. They were born out on the desert. They never cry out. They never cry out. It's the other domestic horses who say, hey, what's going on over there? <laughs> but but, <laughs> but the Mustangs are like, shut up. What are you thinking here? You got to be quiet. Yeah. And yeah, it's natural in them. And And the deer, the same kind of thing. The babies will have a bit of a cry when mama's out of range or something, but generally speaking, completely silent. You think, well, yeah, of course, they're not really vocal animals. No, it's by choice. <laughs> you, you know it's it's a survival mechanism, and the babies just have a really distinct little cry that, you know, the mothers all know, and the aunts and the grandmas and all kind of come to their their rescue. But they do the yeah. same thing with the trails, too, which is a curious thing, where uh, if we have you know, scarred the side of a hill with a fence or something, and we we have uh, messed up their trail, guess what? That doesn't matter to them. They come back, they know where the trail is, and they create it all over again. Uh, and so I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm so curious, and I hope we, we can figure that out sometime. But all right, so I've got tarantulas. Oh, yeah. Tarantulas are travel miles and miles overnight to find the females, the female oh, dens. True. How I mean, do they know? You know, and uh, so, you know, maybe they're pheromones. It's hard to say, but uh, they, uh, so we're talking, they large distances. So it's like a clock goes off and -hmm. away they go. Mm -hmm. And I found that, you know, very interesting. You know, one thing that dad teaches a lot on Monty, uh, that uh, horses and training and thigmotaxis go together hand in hand. Um, it's it's a bit of a mystery how we, uh, we're carnivores, I don't know if it has anything to do with it, but we're, we don't have into pressure all over our bodies. But when you push into a horse anywhere on their body, they lean into your hand as opposed to being you know, moving away from it. We have to actually train counterintuitively for them to come off pressure if we want them to come off our leg or neck reining, anything like that. So thigmataxis is something that's all over the the flight animal's body. And I wonder if that comes into play, and and I'll say why, because part of a thigmotaxis definition is very much the reason that they like to travel on the outside of a pasture Uh, Mice actually have thigmotaxis and and little crawly things like that. They will run around the edge of a room, the perimeter of an area, as opposed to run across. It's scary out in that middle. (laughs) Across, it's agoraphobic almost, right? And I wonder if it has anything to do with some sort of thigmotaxis. Have you ever played with that idea? Well, you mean you have uh, the idea of that something, an organism runs into something else and either is drawn towards it or away from it. So mm-hmm. stud piles are in the wild. Yes. Uh, and, and those things attract them as a way to determine, you know, whose territory is this, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And uh, then you have the, the stallions calling out in the night, sort of bumping against each other through sound. Uh, you know, uh, who knows? 
mm-hmm. what's going on. Uh, you know, it, in fact, you learn a lot just in, in, a, in a well put together paddock paradise. You begin to see how they uh, they're, they're stimulated to do certain things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe they suddenly, you know, it's so there's some deep biology going on at the yeah. same time. Uh, you can observe what they're doing, and then you run into these very mysterious things that they do that set them off. Mm-hmm. And uh, why do they go near mountain lion dens? No idea. Why? Do, you know, what is this relationship <laughs> between prey predator? You right. know, that's that serves their vitality, just like lions and uh, mm-hmm. and animals that they go after in, in Africa. Africa. I always heard that that was because that's to some avoidance around that, but that's where the tall grass grows. So they're tempted by it's an anti-avoidance almost. The the bravest ones can go where the tall grasses grow, but the alert ones get out first. What do you think? Well, um, you know, I I think maybe it's also very subtle some of it just like the riparian systems or laminitis traps so you've got to go there to drink so it makes sense that mountain lions would stay near there because the pressure is going to be on the horse then to get out Mm -hmm. what they need and get out just like the 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 animal the the zebra that goes to drink water and those crocodiles or alligators Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, and so there's just this tug to go towards something. At the same time, there's a push to get away. Yeah. And uh, and so prey predator relationships, are, I think, are we don't see that mm-hmm. right in domestication. But uh, to me, it's a it's an invisible force too. Yeah. It's, it's in their uh, DNA, I think. Yeah, I think that's in their DNA. Right. Do you see in, in groups of, of Paddock Paradise, now I'm talking domestic horses, do you see a tendency okay. that for them to break up into little subgroups, the twos and threes? Um, the way I look at it is that if the horses develop affinity for each other, mm-hmm. and like ours had there was great affinity for each other. So the question is, what happens if you introduce other animals? Will they, what will happen? Mm -hmm. I've not seen the the primary group, family band, disintegrate and break apart. Mm. Uh, However, if you were to take them, and we did do this once, and put them in with other horses, many other horses, they will they will <laughs> partly divide up, uh-huh. and new members will attach, and uh, and so mm-hmm. you, you you never know, right? Because the 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 relationships, I mean, they're real picky about who they want to be with and who they don't want to be. With. Good for them, yeah. Uh, <laughs> our, our our young female there, Tess, she had no interest in her half brother, and so. But there was horses would come in there for me to trim, for example, and uh, <laughs> there would be male horses that arrive, and she would just fall for some of them. Yeah. And uh, and some of them were going to spend the nights. So we put them in there, and she would just get away. <laughs> this one's mine. <laughs> yeah. And she sat there and just kicked the heck out of him. He'd just stand there like he was in love, you know. And so, <laughs> and then she'd stand right next to him. She was done. So they had her. <laughs> 
peculiar behavior, the same thing in the wild, you know, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's not love hate, but it's, it's, uh, uh, affinity, some sort of affinity yes, for them. I affinity, guess. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. The females yeah. are real, uh, real determiners what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. We are in charge, I guess. That's, <laughs> that's true. Poor, <laughs> right. poor geldings. They're just compliant and very kind. Yeah. Um, females just do as we're told. <laughs> apparently. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I love that. I love that you look at it as a family, and I, I know I love that you you would put mares and geldings together and not think about it, but think about it more in the the terms of personalities instead of uh, you know sexual groups or anything. Sure. And, uh, you right. know, and, yeah, and and it does seem like the more natural way to um, to house horses. And I'm glad that people, it, it's kind of catching on and people are getting brave enough to change things. What do you think it's going to take to get a real turn? I mean, I, I, that's already pretty popular. I don't mean that. I just mean the way we look at housing horses, what's going to take that left turn and really get people on board? Uh, education. Yeah. Uh, I'll go, I'll, for example, in the UK, uh, there's some pretty big ones that have been created there and the owners, I'm going to meet some of them for the first time. Uh, They give tours and people come and uh, now the land use in the UK is very, very uh, controlled by the government, which you're going to do out there to have permission for everything. Yeah. So they went ahead and they solved that problem bureaucratically kind of paving the way for paddock paradise in the UK. Great. And uh, for one, when you track the horses, you're not damaging pasture land, mm. right? Yeah. And that land can be productive, for example. So they have this one place had, had two tracks. One was for horses that were rehabilitating from laminitis, and uh, they need they need time before you then put them into the main track system. Mm-hmm. And and the people are told, you know, when you come here, you get this is what this is what this is what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You're not going to revert to your old ways here. This is <laughs> this is we're saving a horse's life. Okay, so so people can come and see what a track looks like, how they feed, um, and uh, I think that's a good way to uh, that's a good way to do it. To educate, yeah. What about performance horses? Yep. Um, a lot of people might say, oh, sure, you know, for a, a group of old seniors to put them out someplace that keeps them healthy, that's nice. But what about what about the person who says, well, if I pull off the back f- shoes, you know, and um, we don't get kicked or anything, I might put my three-day eventer out there. Are you seeing some support in the disciplines yet? And what are the advantages well, to those? Yeah, there's a uh, draft horses in Paddock Paradise. I mean, that's everything is out is in them now. Uh, you've got, uh, for, you know, horse is a horse, okay. Good. And Good. <laughs> we saw ours were very, very powerful animals. They're well muscled up. Yep. They're uh, they're ready to go. There's no warming up needed. <laughs> okay. So, well, I just yeah, I agree uh, with it. That's a huge advantage right there that people have horses that are not stiffened up in a you know, 12 by 12 stall. But what about the, the person who says, no, my dressage horse, I have to bubble wrap them, don't I? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not hmm. put, put them out there. One word answer. And, uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, try, yeah, try this, it. 
there's people with dressage horses. I mean, I had a an FEI judge contact me years ago and saying, we're told by our farriers that horses and dressage cannot go barefoot because they will wear their hooves off in 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And they, they said, uh, but you don't believe that, do you, Mr. Jackson? I said, no, I don't. <laughs> so, uh, the, there are, there are, there's, there is international competition going on now with, uh, barefoot horses. It, it is, it is yes. happening. Uh, this an Olympics. Remember, I don't know you heard about that. Uh, the jumping, uh, the right. some of the jumping horses uh, won medals. You know, right, right. That how strong can a hoof be if we put it in a really great situation like a track system where they where you you can tease that hoof into becoming the best, healthiest wall possible for the horse. And um, I would, I'd love for you to expand on that a little bit for a few minutes, sure. if you could. Yeah. Sure, sure, yeah. Uh, I'll take any question on the hooves. That's my expertise. It is. <laughs> the, uh, did you want me to just yeah. make a comment here? Please. Yeah, the, uh, we, we're going back to Paddock Paradise, because this is where, where it occurs. Uh, the the more rugged the tracking system, the better the hooves, the better the bodies of the horse. The uh, the idea is to facilitate athletic behavior, and if they if they are tracked, they will instinctively they will run, they will do all kinds of movements that they would do in the wild, showing off. Ours did that all the time, and. Um, and in the end, what uh, what I discovered was that uh, the paddock paradise is a, is a very profound way to cause hooves to grow to grow more naturally. They grow more naturally. It's, they don't just wear down; they transform. Their shape transform. What I call migration of mass. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if you recall the soles, the frogs. I never yeah. trimmed those. In our paddock paradise. They're beautiful. The walls were thick, strong. I mean, they're uh, like rocks, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and and so the trimming of hooves in paddock paradise to simulate the wild horse model is going to be different than how a hoof is trimmed, for example, to be shod. Okay, the the whole uh, this should be taught in vet schools and uh, hoof care schools around the world, and yeah. uh, because it definitely is a, a very unique discipline uh, unto itself. And um, so, if you want the greatest hooves ever on a horse, and put them in a put them in a paddock paradise, and uh, make sure the people doing the hoof work are trained to do the natural trim. Mm-hmm. And you have a school for that, or an association that uh, still, I think, yeah. We have a school, the uh, ISNHCP.net, and it's international. We have people, uh, uh, you know, here and there around the planet who are teaching. Students go to them to learn. It's We have training steps. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> pretty yeah. demanding, and uh, uh, it's... You know, you can't you can't learn to trim a horse in a in a three day clinic. You really need mm-hmm. to have a lot of exposure to the uh, morphology that we're 
that we're dealing with, the hoofs morphology, how the transformation we're looking for, what to trim, not what not to trim, how to stimulate natural growth patterns, things like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so we we get people started with it, and then we shadow them very closely through a minute uh, process. Yeah, brilliant. Brilliant. And uh, so are you. Jamie Jackson, I'm so pleased to have you again on Relationship Radio, and I'm so excited to see what you're going to do in England and your future there, and we'll have to catch up with you when you get sort of settled and get that new book off the ground and start taking lots of notes for us, huh? Hi, Debbie. I just had to write and tell you how much I'm enjoying Monty's podcast on Horsemanship Radio. You and Monty and your podcast guests are my company every evening while I'm feeding, cleaning, and finishing up barn chores for the day. I especially enjoyed the recent podcast 158 because so many of the guys that Monty talked about, and especially Greg Ward, were heroes of mine when I was growing up. It was really fun to be a fly on the wall listening to Monty recount all those stories. And I also enjoyed his discussion with Tanya Johnston about the deer and sigmotaxis. Thanks for all the great information you and your dad are spreading throughout the world. And thanks for making the time doing my barn chores, no chore at all. All the best, Nan Meek. In 1978, Ada became the first woman farrier licensed to shoot thoroughbred racehorses in the United States and Canada. Her unique status gave her great opportunities, including guest appearances on Late Night with David Letterman, What's My Line, To Tell the Truth, and The Today Show. Ada Gates has been the subject or the author of many magazine and newspaper articles. Her dedication to this industry has led to many years of selfless service, including farrier liaison for the 1984 Olympic Games, official horseshoe inspector for the Pasadena Tournament of Roses Parade. That's been for many years. And she's a member of the California Thoroughbred Foundation Board of Directors and presenter of various seminars. In 2008, Ada received the Edward Martin Humanitarian Award at the American Farriers Association Convention in Lexington, Kentucky, and was invited to serve on the Farrier Committee for the Alltech FEI World Games that was held in Lexington, Kentucky in 2010. Well, welcome, Ada Gates. I should say welcome back. How are you? I'm fine, Debbie. How are you? I'm really good, and I've been looking forward to this. We we put this on the calendar a few weeks ago, and then you've been traveling around. Where did you just get back from? I was upstate New York at our family farm, um, south of Rochester in the Genesee Valley, a house that my family built in 1820. Wow. It's still with us. And it's still with you. That's a lot of maintenance now, I know. <laughs> I can't even imagine 1820. We've been here 1966, and I thought it was a little, a little time. <laughs> Does your well, fa- family still take yeah. care of it then? Yeah. Our family takes care of it, yes. So sweet. I, I love legacy. I love the fact that you have become one of the celebrities in the farrier world, and yet um, you have such a humble beginnings that I that I never hear about. Tell us a little bit about your horsey background. Well, I'm one of eight children, his, hers, ours, grew up in Locust Valley, Long Island, and every child of these wonderful, loving, nurturing parents had some passion, and my parents never squelched anybody, and mine was, I'm on a pony, I'm on a pony, at four <laughs> years old. 
And my mother got so sick and tired of hearing it that she got me a pony. Yeah. <laughs> and we were both 36 inches high. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and my father, who was an architect, um, transformed a chicken coop into a little stable. And so I literally moved into the stable with my pony, a little black Shetland called Rosie. And I never looked back. I never looked back. And I just had one pony after another to a Welch, to a hackney to a horse to a thoroughbred yeah to the thoroughbred and that's the part that i've introduced people to you about is that in 78 that you became the first woman farrier licensed to shoot thoroughbred racehorses that's a lifetime ago too in itself but uh, but i love what you have done to carry on your your husband's harry Patton's legacy and life by keeping his business going and respecting his roots that uh, and he gave you great skills in your hands too didn't he yes he did i was very lucky to meet harry Patton. i i crashed around in colorado for years being dragged around corrals and shooing you know cowboy bronx and and i said you know i really love doing this but i want to go to the big time and i wasn't very uh uh, welcomed back east where I come from. So I came to California. I met Harry. He was the head of the union and a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant horseshoer. And he taught me how to shoe thoroughbred racehorses, which they have their own issues and their own problems, but there's very little margin for error with the racehorse. You can't crank them. You can't put pads or any kind of weird shoes on them. They just have a very light thoroughbred shoe and uh, aluminum shoe. And you cannot, there's just very little you can do to keep them from hitting. But he taught me how to do that. And that's what got me. Um, um, horses, when they hit, they stop running because mm-hmm. they hurt. Yeah. So the trainers that had a hitting horse sought me out to fix their hitting horse. That's how I got the work. And it's always been that there's one horse you were to a barn. So if I was doing one horse in that barn, then I picked up the whole barn. And that's really how I had a career. That's how I had a great career for many, many years as a thoroughbred racehorse shoer and was lucky enough to shoe some of the greatest racehorses that ever set foot on a racetrack. And it was also where I met your father, Monty Roberts, many years ago when he had horses in a two-year-old training sale because he was very, very famous. And, of course, I really wanted to work for him. And I went up to him one day and I said, can I shoe your horses? And he looked at me like I must have been crazy. (laughs) And he said, well, all right, let me see what you can do. And they brought a horse out and I walked it a little bit. And then I picked up a foot and started to pull the shoe. And Monty, who had been up on his horse watching me, Mm -hmm. rode off. I said, Monty, where are you going? I thought you were going to watch me shoe this horse. And he stopped his horse and he turned around and he said, I can already tell you know what you're doing. <laughs> and that was it. Yeah, We've lifetime. been together since 1978. Yeah. 79 even. I don't know. Back yeah. there. Yeah. yeah and it's a- I honor and respect him so much. And he's taught me so much about the language of horse. Mm-hmm. I've learned so much from him. Well, you're And a that's good really student. part and parcel. Actually, that is the crux and the core of what I do in shoeing. What's that? But I'll get to that in a minute. 
Oh, okay. Oh, mystery woman too. I love that. No, she, you, you impressed me so much that when we started years ago now, the Monty special training, because we didn't know what else to call it because, well, what's Monty going to work on this week? We don't know. Yeah. It, it just bring them yeah. <laughs> and, they, and they will come. And uh, we, we were taking every issue that he was doing on tour in Europe, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't on tour in the United States anymore because he was man there so we started bringing all these horses from you know surrounding counties that had issues with people basically yeah, yeah, not yeah. not issues themselves and he just started fixing them didn't he and ada shows yeah. up for amani special training as if right. you were going to hide in the back and just become a student <laughs> <laughs> and anybody who knows you it's very hard to hide Ada because she's, you know, she's going to ask all the questions. So come up here in the front and let's hear hear the great um, wisdom that you two impart. And you've just become a fixture and part of that Monty special training, which is really fun for the students too. Yeah. Yeah. You're a good student though, Ada. And that's why I wanted to, um, I wanted when, when, when we decided that we were going to transition this farm from, you know, COVID happens and, and we want to keep the farm and the family, we want to keep the legacy. We started looking at the different aspects of the farm. And it occurred to me that we have lots of horses and lots of farriers coming and going and lots of owners saying, I want this and I want that. And it was pretty soon, what have we been a year at this now? It was stop the madness. There's only one person we trust to know all about everything, farrier, but she doesn't have to be under the horse. She can be our eyes and ears. And you've been coming back now for a while, about every, yeah. what, six, well, five, I come every month, every 21 days, every oh. 21 to 30 days. Not, not more than, I mean, not longer than. Yeah, because you've got these horses cycling through. So what I asked Ada to do, Ada looked at what we were doing on the farm, nose dead, obviously down to the ground, and said to me the magic words, what can I do to help? Which I hold to my heart to this moment. It was a wonderful moment. So what I said was, well, I got this crazy idea, Ada. <laughs> and you said yes. So what I'll explain to our listeners is she is doing, which may be, a, I don't know, revolutionary. If, if listeners have heard about it before, then I apologize for thinking that we may have thought of something new. We just haven't heard of it before. But Ada being the the Maximus celebrity farrier there can be only because she's amazingly talented and learned is because that's a quality that I can't find in every farrier that parks his truck here on the farm. And so Ada comes in and she picks up the feet of a farrier that has, she hasn't even seen maybe and says, hmm. This guy's missing this, or this guy's needs to do that. And she's quality control. But not only that, she'll stand with the farriers like she did this morning. I watched her. Um, I know you did, what, three for mom this morning. Is yeah. that right? Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, and watch what that farrier is doing. Make little adjustments. But you're so good with them, too, Ada. You're amazing because you'll say, I'm thinking that. And, of course, you know, farriers being often male, too. I'm sorry. To <laughs> Mostly males that show up here. Uh, well, often you 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 don't attack their ego or, or anything. You're very good about um, getting them on your side. And pretty soon they're agreeing. But that's what you're doing for us. And I want to say thank you. I know mom and dad both thank you greatly for that, that offer of yourself and your knowledge and your wisdom. But 
beyond that, I think what I really want to have you explain, and people will be dying to hear, is how do you do that? How do you know the growth of a horse's hoof so that you can say and adjust with a farrier? Because often farriers will get out there and they'll do their farrier trim. That's a pasture trim. That's a whatever, you know. And and you don't do it that way. Tell us why you're different. Well, I, I first of all, it starts with Monty teaching me the language of the horse. And then it it cycles back to all the training I've received from really great farriers for many, many decades. And what the core of shoeing a horse is the trim. The trim has to be a perfectly flat, balanced hoof that has 50% of the mass in front of the center and 50% behind, just like a seesaw or a teeter-totter. Mm-hmm. And this has biologically been known and has been used for hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, you look in old farrier books, you see all kinds of measuring devices. And I just use a very simple ruler. Mm-hmm. It's got some notches and holes in it. And I ask the shoer, would he be open to looking at using a measuring device, very simple ruler, to get a consistent, perfect trim. The eye will lie to you, but by measuring a hoof, you will get a consistent and uh, reliable, uh, excellent, uh, balanced foot. And what the good thing about that is that, God willing, if everybody measured a foot, the horse would never receive a different opinion from a horseshoer every time the horse was done. They can be done here. They can go to a horse show. They can go to another farm. And every time the horse is done, the the opinion of that horseshoer translates through his mind into his hands and, his tr- and, and into the trim. Mm-hmm. And when I was talking to a shoer here, about doing uh, your mother's and father's horses, I said to him, I said, uh, you know, he didn't know who I was. And he said, and I said to him when I met him to do these horses, I said, I said, Jose, I am not here to give you my opinion. I'm not here to give you the opinion of the veterinarian or the owner. I'm not even here to listen to your opinion. (laughs) He kind of backed up on that one. I said, the only opinion that matters is right here. And I pointed to the horse. And so by opening the the shoer to looking at the horse as it's presented to us, all his defaults and ailments and crookedness and, you know, high heels, low heels, crooked heels, whatever, and, and the stance of the horse and how the horse walks, when he comes to us, you know, presents himself, then we, then we, then we do the trim and it's, it's easy to do. It makes complete sense. It just you just need to do it, see it, and do it. Mm-hmm. And I, I work with the farriers to do that. And then I want, then I said, now look at this horse, look at his body when you put this foot down. Mm-hmm. The minute you put that perfectly balanced foot down on the ground, the horse will drop his head, start licking and chewing. chewing. His ears will go forward, his eyes will get soft, and his head will almost drop to the ground. Then you do the other foot, and then you walk the horse away, and all of a sudden, he's walking like a Rolls Royce. Before, he was like tight and stiff and short-strided. Now he's got this nice, long stride at a walk. His body is undulating. His neck is down and soft. 
the horse is telling you, I like this. This is good. I am really comfortable. So it, it doesn't take long for a farrier, if he's open to doing this, and so many are, they really are working for the good of the horse. They want, yeah. the, they, they are at the service of the horse. They are the servants to the horse. I always have been, and I think that I recognize that in other farriers. And if it's not there, and they're not open, then I don't, they're not going to work here. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. They're not going to work here because it's yeah. not part of your vision for your horses on this farm. Well, thank you. I, I, I think what you said was so important that, that numbers don't lie, that right. that everyone has an opinion, but the horse horse holds yeah. the, the secret through his anatomy for that that those numbers that need to be trimmed. But, I you know, I think what is difficult sometimes for equestrian centers or people have borders is that a new owner comes in and says, well, I, I'm bringing my my favorite farrier, you know, and mm-hmm. that person is, it's like their yoga instructor. We were talking about this this morning. You know, it's it's their old friend or whatever, or they don't know any others, and this is the one that they want. And the difficulty for a, a center like ours, a, a farm like ours, is to say, you know, if they're fair to your horse, that's fine, but we have to draw a line at how they handle the horse and the results of the horse too. So we're really we're starting to push a boundary a bit of saying to the owners, we would like to be a, have a little say in that. Number one, I don't want to see a rasp come out for a, a belly blow. You know, I don't I don't want to see a farrier treating a horse poorly. If they can't di- get it done that way, then they should say. Here, give this back to the owner and train that horse up <laughs> until it's ready to behave because it's not fair to the farrier either that they have an untrained horse. So I wanted to say that out loud too for all you farriers who are, you know, need us to say that. But but one of the things you keep talking about these measurements, and I think it's so fascinating that you've landed on this this golden ratio, this golden mean. Why doesn't every use that as an example of how to measure? I can't answer that, Debbie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Um, I've suggested to uh, instructors at horseshoeing schools, mm-hmm. would you like me to come and show you uh, how to use a ruler to trim, trim the feet that, so your students can learn how to do this and it's so much easier than trying to figure it out themselves or guess? And they say, Oh, no, 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 no. I want them to learn my way. Mm, okay. <laughs> not good. I, not for me. It's not good. That, and I think the horse is always the one that suffers. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the fact that you've stuck to it. So if people Google or look up the golden ratio, that's, that's where you're dividing a line into two parts. You've got a longer part divided by a smaller part, and that's equal to the sum, it's going to sound like an algorithm here, but divided by a, a beautiful number in nature. One, What is it? 1.6? Well, the foot mm-hmm. is pi, but that's not what I pi. measure. Okay. The foot is, the foot when it's properly trimmed, it's pi, but that's not what I do. I can prove that the trim is perfect because it's pi, but that's not what I teach. I okay. teach just measuring the bottom of the hoof the ruler shows you where the center of the hoof is, and it comes off the tip of the frog, which never changes. Mm-hmm. And 50% of the mass in front of center 
matches 50% of the mass behind, just like a seesaw. Mm-hmm. Pi and the golden mean is something completely different and is only a proof that the 50-50 is Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. So I don't teach pi. I only show pi as a result, but I don't really do that very often. Because nobody asks. Well, <laughs> it's just, it's a whole other, it's just a whole, it's a whole other thing. Mm-hmm. I well, just, I just do the 50-50 and let the horse tell you the answer. Exactly. Let that licking and chewing be, be their yeah. proof. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, well, I, well, I wanted for people to know though, that there is, this measurement is, based on nature. And when we yes. talk to, yeah, when we talk to Jamie Jackson or our other guests, and when we talk to people who have been, uh, Monty, who have been around horses their whole lives and know what works and what doesn't, they know that intuitively. They know, they've seen either feral horses and how those feet come out when they've yeah. been on proper footing and, you know, and able to let nature do its right thing, or they've had a really good farrier who's figured this out. It does work out and they know that's why dad could just walk away from you and go like, ah, she knows her stuff, you know, it, because it's a proven, it's the horse's proven. But I love when I, when I watch you talk to a farrier about their midline going down and the angles of the fetlock and the hoof wall and uh there it's not just a measurement of what you're thinking they're no. tr- you know, picturing trimming trimming off the bottom of that foot it's the whole leg that you're looking yes. at mm-hmm. it's the body it's the, mm-hmm. yes it's the for us it's the flat of the knee and the leg mm-hmm. but when the horse walks the whole body works and tells you it's right Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, but, but we look. We don't look at just the foot. We look at we look at where the foot is under the leg. Exactly. And we want the foot to be dead center under the leg. We don't mm-hmm. care where the leg goes. We don't care if it's turned out. We don't care if it's turned in. There's nothing we can do about that. And that's probably been a problem in the past. Oh, this horse is towed out. I got. I better bring this foot in and mm-hmm. tries to make the horse towed. And you cannot do that. Because mm-hmm. the leg is turned out, you have to leave the leg where it is. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's super important. Put under the leg. Mm-hmm. So- and I really like talking to horseshoers because basically they're very gentle, kind people, and they work with animals. And I speak with them in a kind of farrier to farrier language. There's never I I don't get I don't get anger or resistance. I know. I know you and don't. And if I do, I just make them laugh and they have to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> and only you can do with this New York uh, <laughs> woman farrier thing that you got yeah. going. No, it's really fun. What would you say to the to the woman owner listening to this who has her farrier out there somewhere and she doesn't know? Maybe she thinks he's great. Maybe she doesn't know. Um, she, she would, what should she do? Is she, maybe she's a little worried about the results she's getting. You know, Pat, uh, Debbie, that's such a great question. And I think it's a terrible, terrible, deeply troubling problem for so many owners. They don't know if what is happening to their horse is correct or not. They just don't know. I don't know what the roofer is doing up on my roof until it rains and I see he didn't do a job. But this is life and this is this is blood yeah. and stone blood and guts and this is yeah. a human li- live animal yeah. it's not you know tile or asphalt shale i mean it's just yeah. it has to be right and so i think i would um 
lean into Monty's website, the university. I would, I would lean into everything that Monty teaches because if the horse is not standing well for the barrier, he's not going to be able to do a good job. Mm, So I think that's a good starting point. There is, um, some information, a video on what trimming the foot is and what it looks like and, and the, and the goal of the 50-50. And again, not my opinion. This is science. This is biomechanics. Right. This is, this is, this is 5,000 years of thought. Yeah. So, uh, and then I think, you know, God forbid, get the ruler kit. It's $35. She can get it on Monty's website yeah. on, right. in the uni in the store. I think it's under Farrier. It's kind of bare. Now, don't approach your horseshoe and say, hi, here's this kit. I want uh-huh. you to use it. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. That's going to backfire in a, in a heartbeat. <laughs> but you can call me. I don't charge to talk to you. I don't charge to teach your horseshoe how to use the ruler. I just have a conversation with them and I can do it on WhatsApp or FaceTime and I shoe wow. horses in Panama, Brazil, Holland, yeah. right. Kentucky, Indiana, New York. I shoe horses all over the world. Online. From, I was going to say from your the home. Ruler. <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah, from your home. Yeah. 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 You oh, no, I'm in my nighty in my four post oh. bed. <laughs> <laughs> Even better. <laughs> yes. Yeah, COVID hasn't held you back at all. No, I think that's, no, a, no, no. that's beautiful that you can impart that too, Ada. It's amazing. Well, I, I think I think somebody should start with Monty and then segue over to me as far as the feet go. And again, I, I, an educated owner is takes takes their fear away. Mm-hmm. Their fear of, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Exactly. I have had... Horseshoers do this for their horses. I've trained them to do it, or they've learned how to, whatever. And the owner gets on the horse and says, oh, my God, my horse has never been so bold. He's going on. He's jumping better. He's more free-moving. I've had top, top professional trainers exclaim to the horseshoer how much better their horses are moving. So the horse will tell you, and the rider will tell you. Go get educated, um, measure and understand it yourself, and then you can impart it. So I, I love everything that you say, Ada, and I'm so glad that you are steering well, our ship. Thank you. And just one last thing, Debbie. Mm-hmm. The owner doesn't need to talk to the farrier. I will. Yeah. Okay. That's a better I'll idea. I'll have the conversation. <laughs> better idea. Then, yeah. then it's off. Then they don't have the burden of doing it. That's I'll very do it. kind. If you're a horse owner or a trainer that cares, I'd love to introduce you to the American Harvest Products Premium Hemp Extracts and their new product, Equine Hemp Pellets. With American Harvest hemp-derived CBD pellets, horses could benefit from faster recover from performance activities, get a feeling of relief from inflammation or pain, a sense of calmness or reduced nervousness, and even ease of digestion. The natural equine hemp Pellets are vet-formulated, produced from natural hemp, and manufactured with potent raw CBD and no chemical processing, obtaining a palatable flavored pellet. If a liquid application is more convenient for you, American Harvest produces a THC-free CBD oil, the premium hemp extract. Ask for American Harvest at your favorite equine shop, any Hubbard dealer, or online at store.altech.com. Also, they have a special giveaway for you. 
American Harvest is offering a free 90-day supply of American Harvest equine products for just one Horse Radio Network listener. To enter is very simple. Just visit the link. It's long to sign up. And the link will be found on the show notes page for Horsemanship Radio, episode 195. Be sure to enter by December 31st, 2021. Who could be that lucky winner? Whisper the language of the herd. Listen, you don't have to say word. It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call Ask Monty. Leave this world a better place than mine. The magic in the language of the I attended a four-day clinic at Flags Up Farms to become familiar with your techniques and have been starting all of our babies successfully now for six years. Recently, we have been breeding Irish sport horses in addition to our thoroughbreds, and I've discovered that the ISH Irish sport horse does not have a particularly strong flight instinct. The problem that I now encounter is that all of the babies will exhibit all four signals within a couple of laps around the pen, and usually without even cantering. I can startle them into moving away initially, but it can be difficult to keep them moving without chasing them, which makes them leery of join-up. If I don't chase them, they will join up and follow, but not well because they've exhausted the flight instinct. I've experimented with moving on to saddle, rider, etc. more quickly, but have found that mentally they are not really ready for this either. I believe this is due to the fact that I have a less than successful join-up. Your method has worked really well, and we have produced many lovely riding horses as a result. So we hope that we can transfer this process to our ISH babies with as much success. Monty's Answers I am pleased to hear that these methods are working for you, and especially that you are producing champions. I suppose it's possible that you are worrying about things of lesser importance than you need to. I work with many ISH on my tours, and I find them to be quite normal within the realm of Equus. If I have a horse that is exhibiting lower flight tendencies than I am comfortable with, I will often use a plastic shopping bag on a long bamboo cane to increase their flight response. When I feel I have what I want, I simply toss it out over the fence and proceed without the bag. You might try this, but it sounds like you are doing well as it is. It is commendable that you're working to improve your relationship with your horses and understand their nature better. I am certain that as you add numbers to your experience bank, you will look back at this question with a chuckle. The problem you cite is certainly not one of deep concern, but I find it interesting that you place importance on the breed you're working with. Certainly, there are differences as we journey through the many breeds the equine world has to offer. However, it is my opinion that the similarities far outweigh the differences. I find the ISH to be a wonderful breed. They are filled with athletic ability and generosity as well. Because of their heterozygous background, they are blessed with what the geneticists would call hybrid vigor. Without going into a full genetics lesson, let me briefly explain to you that thoroughbreds, Arabs, and other breeds that have existed in a pure form for prolonged periods of time, centuries, have a more consistent gene pool and are termed trending towards homozygous. Geneticists agree that pure forms of any particular breed possess less hybrid vigor than those of a more recent origin, which are more tending towards heterozygous. The warm bloods of the world, including the Irish sport horse, are the result of recent outcrosses to the mix of bloodlines of the cooler draft breeds with those of established thoroughbreds. 
These horses tend to have a more vigorous physiology. They will generally have healthier feet and stronger bones than the older breeds. They also tend to have more laid-back attitudes. Physiologically as well as physically, they are generally less fragile than their purebred cousins. The ISH Irish Sport Horse is extremely intelligent and highly trainable, and if we get it right with these horses, they will become exceptionally gentle and often great mounts for the children of the horse world. I encourage you to continue your work with your ISH and believe that you will ultimately return to me with reports of great successes. For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to www.montyroberts.com and click on the orange banner that says Get Free Horse Tips. Hi, I'm Monty Roberts, and I'm dedicated to training horses without pain. You can learn to do it, too, on my Equus Online University. Western, English, the beginner, or the advanced rider. It doesn't matter. You can connect with other students online, too, on our forum. And there's a new lesson every week. It's a lifetime of learning for you on my Equus Online University at MontyRoberts.com. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged. Now, coming up in January of 2022, we have on the 29th, Horsemanship 101. And then January 31 through February 2nd is the introductory course, Module 1. That's the first steps to Monty's methods. And then we're going to introduce lots of other modules after that. So in February, 3 through 5, we have the introductory course, Module 2, Join Up. And then we have seven through nine, the module three, which is long lining. And then the February 10th through 12 is the module four. And that is preparation for the intro exam. So if you got all that, the whole thing is going to be from January 31 to the uh, seven through nine. We'll wrap up uh, the three modules and then preparation for the exams, 10 through 12. So put that on your calendars. And then 14 through 18 it's Jen's favorite. The Gentling Wild Horses course. That's five days in February. It'd be really fun. February is a great month around here in California. So, And then back to back, we've got Monty's special training, 21st of February through the 25th. So we have five days of exploring all kinds of horses with all kinds of people issues. And those are always fun. And then in March, we jump to four through six. We have our Horses and Healing program. And then through eight through 10, we have the first step to Monty Methods, module one. Module two is 15 through 17. Module three is 22 through 24. And module four, prepping for the exams, is 29 through 31. So pretty much the month of March is uh, all about the intricate intro course, which is leading to certification in the Monty Roberts concepts. Then April, long-term planners, we've got the intro exams. Yay. For all those people that took all those modules, you're ready to take your exams. And that's April 4 through 8. And then we've got a Horsemanship 101 on April 9. Those are fun. We call those like the mother-daughter, (laughs) father-daughter, girlfriend weekend. Those are fun. And then Horses and Healing, we have again our second one, which will be April 22 through 24. So if you know any veterans, first responders, EMTs, trauma nurses, cops, firemen, people like that, they are really being helped and healed at our Horses and Healing. And then April 25 through 29, we have our Gently Wild Horse course, another one because we're— You're going to run on wild horses. 
We, no. <laughs> uh-uh. Never. And that's the best part is there's a lot of feral horses out there. We're getting some from Kentucky here in a short while. And then there's a guy who grows up bucking horses out here on the mountaintops. And they're really, they're really quite kind. But they are feral. They're completely feral. So we have them coming in from all angles, guys. Don't worry. And then May, uh, May of 2022, we have our advanced exams and we'll have our Denise Heinlein back from Germany, our advanced course instructor and examiner. And that's May 2 through 13. And then May 16 through June 3rd is our advanced course. So we'll have that back to back with Denise here. And then June, uh-oh, Gently Wild Horses. We haven't Again. run out of them. Ten. <laughs> People love that course. It's really fun. Five days, June 6 through 10. And then we have the movement, my favorite all year. So it's 17 to 19, which is a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's actually during Father's Day. What else would you do for your father but go away and go, you know, play with horses at Monty's place. <laughs> so that is uh, June 17 through 19. And then right after that, we have another horse sense for healing, horse sense and healing. And that's June 24 through 26. And if you got all that, I am really impressed or go to the website. Shoo, exactly. Go to MontyRoberts.com where you'll find all of that and more. If you want information about today's show, you're going to go to HorsemanshipRadio.com. You're going to find links, photos, and more information about our guests as well as pictures. And it's episode 195. If you're listening listening to this show in 2024, welcome to the past and thank you for listening. <laughs> Look up episode 195. We love your feedback. A great way to give us feedback is by following Monty Roberts on social media. His Facebook page is Monty Roberts, the one with a little blue checkmark. On both Twitter and Instagram, it's Monty underscore Roberts. And many, many thanks to our title sponsor, who is... Hands-on Gloves and Monty Roberts University. Our title sponsor, it makes this happen. Monty Roberts University is our first love and the reason for being. And be sure to visit all the other great shows, too, on the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. Until next time, have many happy horse hours. 